This is the best of The Run Home with Joel and Fletch. Catch them weekdays for the all-new Hyundai Kona. Welcome to the best of the week, the run home with Joel and Fletch. Now, I miss Monday and Tuesday, but the Fletch and the Missile are off to an absolute flyer, starting with the Roosters, Connor Watson. All right, special guest just for you, Fletch, a Roosters brethren. Just re-signed for a further two seasons. Very exciting news for you Roosters fans. Uh, Connor Watson, welcome back to the run home. Hey, how are you? Hey, Connor, let's, before we get into it, how, hey, was, how was the <laughs> knee, brother? Because I, you, last time I spoke to you... You were saying you were, your chance of coming back towards the end of last year, but obviously it didn't. Yeah, happen. I know. No, knee's good. It's um, I still haven't like once I get back to training and oh, we start on the twenty third. So once I get back, um, we'll sort of start the return to running. But at the moment, it's just really been about getting the strength back. And yeah, like last year, the plan was to sort of get back for like round tw- like the round 20s somewhere in, in around there but um it just sort of wasn't taking to like the the weights and um stuff early enough like mm. and then <clears throat> it got too late and basically the leg was sort of too weak for me to start running and it was just gonna like it just put the other side at risk so that's why we ended up just putting it on ice last year which was pretty disappointing it was a weird one to like miss a whole year and mm not play any footy. So I feel like I, um, my body other than the knee is like just roaring to go. feels really good. Um, but yeah, I'm so, looking forward to getting back into training. So Connor, have the Chooks, um, medical staff and, and strength and conditioning guys, cause everyone is going over to see uh, Bill Knowles over in the U S is that something that was spoken about or it, you didn't need you? Well, we can just do it here and get the rehab here. Yeah, no, we hadn't, tossed up that to be honest Fletch um I know like back in the day when uh, Blake Ferguson did a Liz Frank they sent him over um and the physio that went over with him Adam Bentley who's um sort of the main rehab physio um he went over with Fergo and sort of so he's the guy that's actually uh run all my rehab so far so he's got like quite a good knowledge of what they do over there and then um, I think with my injury, it's not really like a, you know, say with Tommy or Latrell, like it's a recurring hamstring um, kind of thing. This was sort of like a, you know, a, a one-off incident with the patella tendon. So, um, yeah, we've just been doing pretty much similar stuff to what they, they do over here, but just been doing it in Sydney. With your weights, has it just been six months, buys, tries, shoulders, chest? <laughs> <laughs> It was like that for probably the first 12 weeks. The boys reckon I was looking like um, SpongeBob SquarePants, walking around with the skinniest legs you've ever seen. Oh, that's good. Uh, now tell us this two-year extension with the Roosters. You must be stoked to stay on board. Um, positionally, what what are your goals for the next season? Is it to come on at, at 14 and play a bit of lock and hooker, or do you want to lock down a starting position? Yeah, what you first said there, James, like I think for me – um, I just want to play in a side that's, you know, winning and I don't really, doesn't really bother me where I'm playing, you know, as long as I'm contributing to that. And I think best suited would be that sort of 14 role. And, you know, we sort of saw, started to see the best out of Brendan towards the back end of the year. And then, you know, you've got a guy like Rads who can play 80 minutes every week, but you don't really want him to do that. You need him to sort of um, save his body for 
later in the year. So I think um, the plan would sort of be rotate in with those two guys, however that sees fit, you know, depending on the game. And hopefully there'll be times uh, in the season next year where, you know, we'll have a middle of me, Rads and Brendan on at the same time. Like we sort of did it a little bit uh, at the back end of 22 with me and Egan. Um, and so it'd be like me and Egan on together and um, just trying to play like a faster style of football and just to speed the game up a little bit and you know we had a bit of joy with that so um, it'll be pretty good to be able to do that and then play with a guy like Brendan who you know loves to run and plays those short passes around the middle. Hey mate what was the wash up um, after the year you finished as you mentioned um, you went on a bit of a run towards the back end of the year but all in all was it a pass mark for you because you know it looked like the Chooks were going to miss the eight, which just would have, wouldn't have been great. Yeah, no, nah, we um we had a good chat about this at the back end of the year, Fletch, or when we did our reviews, and it was like the conversation was, you know, we're really proud of how we showed resolve, and you know it was pretty gloomy there at one point, and it looked like we weren't going to make the eight, and then we sort of stuck with it and found our style of football, and then made it. But if you said at the start of the year that we got knocked out in the second week of the semis, mm. you know, we would be very disappointed. So I think that was sort of the chat around it. And, you know, I think there's going to be a big focus on us starting the year well because we haven't really done that in a long time. Like, I mean, I've only been back here for two years. And both those years, it's sort of taken us till about halfway through where we've always almost left it too late before we finally clicked in the gear. So um, there'll be, I reckon... I'd, I'd say training will be pretty hard when we get back and there'll be a real focus on starting the year well, just so we give ourselves the best opportunity because, you know, we're not really doing that at the moment. No, well, that's – I mean, it's even before um, you were there when you are up at the, the Knights of Chooks, had a, they were always notoriously slow starters. Is it because the preseason from, – from outside looking in, it looked like you trained too hard in the preseason and then you sort of like eased up a little bit throughout the middle of the season or – is it the opposite? Yeah, uh, I think it. I think a lot of it's got to do with like combinations, and it's sort of hard because we're, we're at a club where you know we've got a lot of good players, and a lot of guys play international break, or you know we've got some older guys there as well that sort of you know might go and get like surgeries or um, stem cells, all these sorts of things, and then by the time these guys are actually back at training, it's not like till January. And then what happens is you miss that first chunk of the preseason together and then, you know, you sort of only start training really together in January. So I think it just takes a lot of time for those combinations to gel. But uh, I just don't think like, you know, in saying that, it's sort of been a pretty consistent squad for the last three years, uh, last few years. So it shouldn't really be like that, but it's probably just more of a, us working out our style of footy um, and it just taking a while. But the thing is, like the last two years, we've worked out the style of footy and it's been the exact same thing. It's mm-hmm. just been us really putting a lot of effort into our defense and then like running hard, high supports in, in numbers and, you know, moving the ball well. And it's just probably like we might have just used it as an excuse that we're slow starters. And, and we have spoken about that, like, you know, just saying that and making it seem like it's OK. But we don't want to be that side. We want to we want to start fast this year. So. Um, I don't think we'll be using that as an excuse. Perfect place to start fast next year, round one. 
Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, I saw they released the the resort or the casino that you guys are staying at. It looks pretty grass. Yeah, does it look good? I haven't, oh, it looks I haven't good. seen it yet. It's like 10 swimming yeah. pools uh, with swim-up bars, nightclubs, big casino. Oh, wow. It's got the full works. And I think all four teams are staying in the same place. <laughs> Um, so that looks like a good bit of yep. fun. Are you, are you guys going over? Yes, I will be there, sir. I've got to talk yeah, to HR. There, <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. I've got to speak to certain people in the uh, police force before I can get over okay. there, but I'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, now, Connor, your old mate, uh, Kalen, that, yes. that 10 weeks of footy that he put on, I've, I mean, the Jared Hayne era was pretty good yep. when he went on a bit of a run in 09, but the 10 weeks that he was just absolutely on fire. Were you having a chat to him about it? And what was his mindset during that time? Was he, like, did he give up the alcohol? Or what made that that 10 weeks so special for him? I don't know if he, like, did anything specific as far as giving up the alcohol. I have to ask him about it. But I know just, like, his whole mindset around, especially when he, because at one point in the season, like, he thought he was a chance of retiring. Mm. when he when he went over to Canada like there was a there was a chance that you know he might have to call it so um I know he spoke about it in his daily m uh, speech and just about like you know he wants to start making sort of people proud of him and I think one thing Kalen does have is like a mindset that when he focuses on something and he really goes after it like he's got he's one of those people where it just seems like nothing will take his eyes off that or, or break that sort of confidence. And yeah, I think just also him like being on the field consistently too, just mm-hmm. help because the last few years it's been like in for a couple of weeks, <laughs> you know, start to find some form and then get a concussion or um, yeah, just that kind of whole cycle for the last few years or like get injured and then, you know, get injured in origin and just all these sorts of things of not really allowed him to play consistent footy for Newcastle and, I think just him being on the field and, you know, obviously they got, they had a lot of like sort of new guys come in this year and just being able to spend some time with them and work on those combinations. Yeah. I mean, that 10 weeks of footy was crazy. I didn't know if he would win the daily M. I thought he might've come close, but yeah, it's pretty crazy to think that, um, you know, he sort of missed maybe eight games and still won the daily M this year. It just shows you how good he was in those games. Oh, Cause I put it down to, he's found his girlfriend too. at the time. He's got a missus, has he? Yeah. Are they still together? Connor? <laughs> oh no. I don't know. Oh no. Oh, Next question. Next question. Are you, <laughs> are you still with your partner? <laughs> Yeah, I am. Oh, oh, yeah. There we go. Thank God. Yeah, is, she, not, is, uh, she, is she French? Okay. Uh, her dad's uh, from Monaco or Monegas, so French. Yeah. Oh, oh, that'd be a good place see, to have a second uh, passport. Cha-ching. Yeah, Connor. tax haven. Yeah. Where's tax the... Haven. Welcome back to the best of the week, the run home with Joel and Fletch. Missile and Fletch were on fire at the start of the week, but mm. why does Tijuana, why is that written on a little post-it note here? Because we got the prequel and the sequel to the story, which is captivated Sydney-siders mm. and Queenslanders alike. The missile in Tijuana. Ladies and gentlemen, you're welcome. Set the scene. Set the scene. Why you were over there. Okay. What were you doing? So what it's, did it taste like? Uh, and <laughs> it's an 18-year-old uh, young James, fresh out of Port Macquarie, just moved to Sydney, qualified for the Australian team straight away as an 18-year-old. 
And we've gone over to the US before we do the Pan Pacific Championships against America. So we're staying in San Diego, and uh, it's been a bit of a rough ride so far getting accepted into the team. It's an it's an older team, and I'm probably who, who is the worst? Don't don't yeah. let me guess. Uh, the worst in terms of like hazing and stuff. Probably no, not, not hazing, but just wouldn't talk to you. Was just uh, uh, like Ash Callis, who was in the um, who's he? in the relay, the guitar relay team. Yeah. So the, some of these guys are he's in their thirties. He's won an Olympic medal. Yeah, in the um, he was in the Smashing foursome guitar. with um, yeah. Thorpe and Clemmy. Now, any individual honours? No. I'll nah, see you later. Yeah. So anyway, some of these guys are sort of late 20s, early 30s. Was that too callous? <laughs> <laughs> and, Sorry. Uh, and I've come in as an 18-year-old, so I'm having a bit of a rough trip so far. They've switched my bag with Liesl Jones. I've taken Liesl Jones's bag to the pool, and she's blown up at me. They've told her I was sniffing her undies and stuff, and she's mm. lost a oh. pot, which oh. of course I wasn't. No. Yeah, Liesl not too kind on, on, on a young... Um, Young missile, and uh, I actually had the the nickname at the time, fighter pilot, because I wore big goggles when I was training. <laughs> so oh, the so older the... boys are calling me fighter pilot. This is pre missile, right? There's no missile. So w- when I when I won my first world title, the the commentator just goes, "This is the part of the race where he's the missile or something like that," and it stuck yeah. from then on. This is pre missile, so they were pre-missile. calling me fighter pilot. Fighter pilot. Tough times. Yeah. Anyway, not, not real creative in the swimming world. No. So uh, the older boys in the team come to me and they say, uh, after training, meet in the lobby, bring your passport and just wear casual clothes. Uh, we're going to take you, take you out somewhere. I'm like, well, all right, this is pretty exciting. The boys mm. are accepting me. So I'm, you know, rock up in the lobby, very excited, got my passport, don't know where we're going. The older boys come and grab me and they take me in this, uh, like a hire van. We're driving and driving from San Diego. Then we hit the border of Mexico and they go, surprise, we're taking you to Tijuana. I was like, oh, okay. Had you heard of Tijuana? Did you know what goes on down there? No, knew nothing. This is one of my first times overseas. Oh, this is awesome. Hadn't been out of Port Macquarie much, to be honest. Mm. Um, So we get to the border of Mexico uh, in this huge line with a lot of people coming back and forth. It's a pretty busy spot. Going to Mexico. And the boys say, all right, uh, we're going to take you to a strip club. Mm. Uh, so we walk into the strip club and uh, we've got to get to the news. Ooh. Oh, we'll come this back. is a good tease. Second part of the story oh, after the boom. news. All right, where were we, Fletch? Uh, your main street, Tijuana. Yeah. Which uh, is in Mexico, just on the border of North America. Yes, of correct. Yeah. Correct. Surprisingly... Dodgy, scary, sketchy kind of place. Um, very eye-opening. So the boys say, we're going to take you to a strip club. Mm. It would have been, say, 10, 11 a.m. in the morning. Solid. Interesting time for a strip club. Mm. At 18. At 18, oh, yeah. This is, this is my first strip club yeah. as well. Hadn't been before. No strip clubs in Port Macquarie. So we go into the strip club, and uh, it is a very sketchy establishment. Some dodgy-looking Mexican blokes at the door sort of, you know, crowded around as you walk in and then the lovely ladies of the strip club had seen better days got you anyway the boys uh go over and they're talking to the girls uh and one of the girls comes and grabs me and says you're coming with us they've paid for a dance so they take me off into a she takes me off into a separate room and all the boys are waving and they they walk out of the strip club i'm like oh this is like what's what's going on here how many of the other boys are there the Five. Five. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm now alone in the strip club and mm. there's these heavies. Heavies in there. So I'm 
not willing to leave without getting this this dance. Anyway, she takes me close closed room, like padded lounge or something. I sit down in the lounge and she's giving me the, the dance and all like mm. it's all going on. And I was was she clothed? Uh, no, not not a scary gone. Starkers. A, yeah, yeah. Well, it started off with lingerie gotcha. or whatever, ended with. Not a scary con. And I was looking everywhere but at her, like looking at the top of the room, looking at the floor, looking at the walls, like just trying to avoid eye contact because I was so awkward. And there wasn't much English happening either. So she was saying stuff and I didn't know what she was saying. And as she was talking to me, I was just looking at the ceiling, just nodding like, yep, yep. <laughs> anyway, a gringo. A gringo. <laughs> yeah, it would have gone for like the most awkward uh-huh. 10, 15 minutes of my life. Just it felt like it was a lifetime. Anyway, I walked out of there, walked past the heavies out outside into the bright sunlight and all the boys are standing out there and they're laughing at me. And uh, one of the boys, one of the oldest and most respected members of the team and someone that I looked up to mm-hmm. came up to me and goes, mate, what's happened there? What are you talking about? He goes, look at your, look at your leg. And I was wearing these light jean shorts and I looked down and on the thigh of my leg, sort of halfway between my knee and my hip is this big wet patch. He goes, mate, what happened there? Okay, I don't know. And he goes, well, what, what, what's, why is it wet? And I said, well, she was sitting on there at one point. He goes, oh, mate, that's no good. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I think you've got an SDI. And I probably wasn't the best listener in class at school. Uh-huh. And I was like, can you get an STI off that? And I really respected this guy. I'd looked up to him most mm. of my life. And he goes, absolutely you can. He says, I guarantee you've got one. And I went, oh, you're kidding. So we spent the rest of the day walking around Tijuana. I was dead quiet. I don't think I spoke another word. We got to the border, and I don't know what the other boys were doing. They were, you know, all sorts of debauchery. Anyway, we got to the border. We, we drive back to the hotel that night, and the whole way I'm just – I'm in my own head. I'm going, my first big international meet. I said, I'm not sure if I'm going to get sick from this. Is this going to affect my performance? Like, how's what's the repercussions of this? I've let down my country. First time overseas representing <laughs> Australia. Anyway, so we get to dinner that night and I, it's just, it's weighing too heavy on me. Mm. So I walk over to the staff table and the doctor's there and I said, oh, doc, can I please talk to him in private? And he comes over and I said, oh, I've, I've got a problem. Can I see you after dinner? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, just talk to me about it now. I said, no, no, this is, this is serious. I need to see you in private. He goes, oh, okay. He said, come to my room um, after dinner. This is my room number and, you know, we'll sort it out. So, all right. And it's just... A very long dinner. It's still weighing on me very heavy. After dinner, I go and knock on the doctor's door and he goes, yeah, no, come in the room. He goes, what's happened? I said, oh, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing, but I've, I've caught an STI. And he goes, what's happened? And I said, well, I was down in Tijuana today at a strip club <laughs> and this lady was grinding on my leg and uh, she didn't have any clothes on and she's, uh, she's, she's given me an STI. He goes, oh, did you, uh, did you have intercourse with her? I said, no. He said, were your pants on? I said, yeah. He said, at all times? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't take my pants off. He goes, so how did you get an STI? <laughs> I said, well, she, I don't know. She just gave me one. <laughs> he goes, who told you that? And I said, oh, we're just uh, a beat. I, and I didn't want to snitch on anyone. Yeah. And he goes, well, who, you, who, you, who were you in Tijuana with? And I said, oh, I was on my own. He looks at me like, <laughs> and he goes, well, just for your peace of mind, there's no way you can possibly get an STI through your pants. <laughs> go back to your room, behave yourself, and don't go to Tijuana again. <laughs> oh, that Dan Kowalski's oh. a real funny moment. <laughs>
missile. That's the second time I've heard it. Better. Yeah, <laughs> even better. Good. Well delivered. Well done. Uh, all right. I believe we've got company now. Mm. Shawnee Omerod, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the run home. Oh, what a segue. I've heard that three or four times. And Fletch, it does, it does get better with age. But, oh. you know, if a doctor ever asks you, we we all pants on and you answer yes, it's generally a good result. If your pants are off, <laughs> you're in big trouble. I wonder what they thought of you, like the team oh, in the team meeting. They go, Man, he's come over to Port Macquarie. He hasn't even gone on a strip joint in San Diego. He's gone all the way to Tijuana. The worst thing was I didn't say – as you get better or faster, your coach comes and your support staff, maybe your physio or your SEC right. or something. Because I was so young, I had nobody else there that I knew. <laughs> they would have just been thinking, this rogue boy uh, from Port Macquarie is just bag. pissed off to Tijuana. <laughs> have, have, you been, have you been back since? Yeah. Have you gone back no. to, to Segi's Missile? Or no. 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 I, actually, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> Tijuana as a place no. to go. No. Very dodgy really? place. Very so dodgy place. So when you place. go to the – is it like the border, like you see – on the movies, yeah, like, huge fences with um, like barbed wire and like they're scanning under cars. There's dogs. There's military. It's madness. Gotcha. But can you walk across? Yeah, yep. you can. Yep. Yeah, they got those metal turnstiles, so yep. you can just go straight through. But then you have to line up to come back in. Yeah. Okay. And was it dangerous? Like, was anyone seemed dangerous? Yeah, yeah. seemed okay. very dangerous. Oh. I mean, Is there I was... anyone checking for wet patches on the sort of other side <laughs> on the way back to the States just to – Maybe you did a little more than just look up to the ceiling. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm starting to think. The, the thing I was worried about was I'm not 100% sure. And you know how you, your memory changes things with time? Mm. Mm. In my mind, and I think at the time, I thought potentially uh, my entertainment may have been pregnant. Oh, after, what you're thinking back on that now? I think she might have been pregnant at the time. She was a large uh, woman, but I think she might have been pregnant. Do you think maybe so? Like poor bladder control. Oh, this story oh, keeps going. Maybe <laughs> WB. Yeah, maybe the old mucus plug. <laughs> well, that's what happens with your birth. Don't let us speak about that anyway. Shawnee's here. Shawnee, <laughs> What have you got to do here? What have you, what have you got for oh, us today, MP? As, as a famous someone once if you dig yourself a hole, Brian, you fill it up. I've got nothing to do with this. Welcome back to the best of the week, the run home with Joel and Fletch and the hide, the audacity, the gall, the temerity. For you, under my watch when I wasn't watching, Brian Brown. Well, we had Brian Brown and we also had Pando. Pando coming. That was Brooksy, mm. but it was a great get. And... An even better chat. Brian Brown, you, sir, are the Michael. All righty, Fletch, we have a very special guest now. It is True Crime Tuesday, mm. but we've got a spin on it this week. Yes. We're not going for true, true crime. We're going for true crime Fiction. of the novel variety. Yes, <laughs> and we're joined now by, well, he, he wears many hats, mm. but in this case, uh, author Brian Brown. Welcome to The Run Home. Hi, fellas. How are we? Going good, Brian. Going good. Now, I was just uh, saying off air, this book, um, okay, is this, I mean, we know it's fiction, um, but it says in here there's murder, there's uh, drugs, there's lies. Is this something based on your life or is it all (laughs) purely made up? Could have been sat in a football club, couldn't it? <laughs> could have. There'd be, be a couple of other things in there too. Now, it, um, uh, where'd you get the inspiration from? 
Um, well, I like I like crime. I like reading crime. It's a big genre. I read I read all sorts of stuff, but I like crime because um, crime gives us the opportunity to look at you know look at how bad things are and we're not a part of it. And then then the bad he gets his comeuppance and it, it makes us feel a bit relieved about society and makes us feel that there's justice going on there. But um, I, look, it's all, I mean, I've been around for a while and I spend, I've spent my time going up, you know, it, it, telling stories uh, for 50 years in film and television. And I've worked with writers and I buy the rights to books and work on all that. So, you know, telling stories is... Um, just telling stories uh, is, is what I like doing and what I do. And I guess in this, uh, I draw, the characters are drawn from, you know, observations of people. And then, you know, like, and then I let my, you know, then I let my imagination go um, and have fun. So were you able to, like doing the book, writing the book to get some material, could you, do you have any mates who were coppers or do you have any mates who, back in the day were a bit shady or is it just all off the top of your head? No, a lot of it is about, a lot of it is about how we grow up. Um, and you know, areas I grew up in, you know, it wasn't uh, desperately bad, but you know, I saw, saw how easy it is to get into trouble when you're a young bloke, if you haven't got much supervision and uh, if you're not looked after properly, it's easy to make a blue and then, you make a bigger blue and then perhaps a bigger blue and then it's very hard to come back from. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've grown up being aware of that as a young fella. Um, uh, I, I, I spend a lot of time because of the game I'm in. Uh, if I, if I do a, uh, you know, a, a, a crime movie or something, there's always research that goes into it and you're talking with cops. When I do this sort of stuff, I do, I do have access to a detective in Sydney and I run everything past him, and um, uh, you know the, the thoughts I have on stuff like that. And he he tells me if I'm you know pulling my put or it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to sling him? Like do you have, does he does he want credits in the back of the book or anything? <laughs> no, but I do I do thank him. Yeah, yeah. like I thank you know I, I I thank him, and and also there's a, a lady federal police that I needed to know something about uh, in the book, which was to do with. Uh, sex trafficking and stuff and I needed to get that right and how where that's moved to and the the cops are very helpful there's no question about it I think there's two reasons one they want you to get it right not and not be not put stupid stuff out there and two I think they like people writing about this because it's a warning it helps people know that be aware of certain things that they're doing or they might you know don't walk down a dark alley at night and somewhere you know they like crime does help people with a warning you know Brian, the book's based up in uh, northern New South Wales. Uh, does that hold a special place for you? Have you spent a lot of time up um, northern New South Wales? Yeah, I do. I've had a I've had a farm up there for forty years, and um, I do I do spend time up there, and I, I surf up there on the north coast. Um, and and I've I've got to be I've got to be careful um, uh, in not naming where it is because there's a bit of um, who's doing what to who and who's paying in this, and I don't want. Uh, I don't want. I don't want to get myself into strife. <laughs> how, hey, Brian, how long did it take you to write this? Because we hear about, you know, authors and they get the writer's block and stuff. Or did you just get on a roll? How, how did how did how long did it take you to to write this? Yeah, I it, it, that's that's right. I do get on a roll. This took about four or five months, um, but only I only write for an hour, hour and a half at the most, and not every day. Maybe two or three days. I tend to come up with a scenario that starts. 
like in this, the first three or four pages is a very arresting start to this. And then I've, there's three characters involved there who would never have ever been in been with each other at all uh, in, in normal circumstances. But in this situation, they're together. And that gives me three characters to then start to explore. And I let the characters take me on a journey. I don't plot anything out. I just uh, I just let them just uh, go along. Um, and I, I, I write with one finger because I can't type. And it's, it's, uh, it's my... It's the finger on my right hand alongside my thumb. And so that's one letter <laughs> after another. Um, but I think that that pacing helps me not get in front of the story. Mm. Um, I think, I think, but I, you know, if I was double handed typing away, then I might just sort of race over stuff. But this just, I think being, being deliberate like this just helps me a bit. Yeah. But I don't know where I'm going. I just let, I let it unfold. Does this book have room for a prequel or a sequel, or is this one of a series? Any plans moving forward? No, there's no plans on it, but you're right. I mean, there are characters in this that I could decide I want to go further with in, in something. I mean, I don't have plans for it, but it could. Um, it also lends itself to an eight-hour series, um, but I don't, you know, I don't have plans for that or anything. I just had the joy of writing this and telling this story. You know, um, that's really what it is at the moment to me, for sure. What What's harder, Brian, acting or, or, or writing? Well, look, they both require disciplines. You know, you can't just, you can't fake it. Um, you can't treat it uh, with disdain or, you know, you, when I'm doing a film, you, you spend time, um, you know, you got to know, you got to know your dialogue. You got to know what the story is. If your characters, you got to sort of work out where you touch that character to play it and when I'm writing a story I've got to feel like these are real people and I'm uh that I'm telling but I got to say you know when the when they say action on the camera for me it's playtime so you know um I love all that I'm sore here Brian that uh you're born in Panania so should I assume that you're a mad bulldogs fan no and I want a lot of sympathy. I'm a Dragons fan. Oh. <laughs> well, you, we got a little bit of sympathy. You don't have to play Magic Round <laughs> next year, so you, you don't have to go out there. Um, no, the, the poor. But what I do know, is, what I do know is, we're going to win the comp this year. Oh, so okay, it's really, okay. I feel good. I feel good. I feel good. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Is that like second grade or or the NRL? <laughs> like, what, what? Which? I think it's toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Brian, I've actually seen you a couple of times. I would say three times now. At yep. and yeah. at, at um, uh, Golden Century, it's it doesn't the, the Chinese restaurant in Sussex Street. Yeah, obviously, yeah, I know. Obviously, yeah, it's not there right, anymore. Right. Is that your? So, is Chinese your go-to cuisine? No, but that place was an institution. That mm -hmm. was a where where you're going to you know going to meet someone, particularly on something like a Sunday or something. It's like where you're going to meet, and the Golden Century always knew you were going to. You know, be looked after there. It was. It had character. Uh, it was always a great place to go to. No, I. I, I don't have any particular go-to's. I'm. I'm. I'm fairly uh, easygoing. I don't. I don't really care where I am or what I eat. No, oh, that's good. What about? How long did you live in? Did you ever live full time in the states? I had a house in Malibu there for a number of oh. years because I was going backwards and forwards. Um, and I spent a lot of time in the States, but I never actually uh, saw myself as properly living there and, you know, becoming, uh, being being American almost. But uh, but I spent a lot of time there and that, it, it was very good to me. And um, 
I got I got a lot out of the place. But I, I, I you know, if you, if you, you know, the states and LA are two different things. LA is a very strange town. Mm. Nice to walk into and have a bit of fun in and whatever, but it is a very strange town. In the, the it's just a, all about one thing, uh, and I think that's hard for people. Um, um, so I, you know, I, I enjoyed any time I was there, but I, I never really wanted to live there. So did you surf there too? Like, did you surf at Malibu? Is there waves along? No, there? I didn't. No, I didn't surf there at at all. I was I'd stopped surfing at that stage, and um, I but you know, which was stupid because if any wave was the right wave for me, it was Malibu. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I didn't at, at that time. And at that that see, I'd be going in to do a movie or, or or television or something like that, and that took up the days. And then you know, when it was finished, almost a day it's finished, I'd leave. So it didn't lend itself to that. This is the best of The Run Home with Joel and Fletch. Catch them weekdays for the all-new Hyundai Kona. Brian, I most recently saw you on the Stan series court playing the Prime Minister of Australia. Now, did you base that character off any real Prime Minister of Australia? All of them. <laughs> I thought there was a little bit of John Howard with the Australian tracksuit. He used to rock that a bit. Well, the tracksuit, yeah, that's, that's pretty... Uh... Easy to think of. I, I, I didn't. Act, I mean, I know John wore that a lot, um, but and, and maybe maybe that was what what let, led me to it. But I said, if I'm having a tracksuit, I want it on all the time. Um, so so, um, that, so yeah. So that the tracksuit the tracksuit gave me something to work with. Yeah. Are you a big Ian Thorpe fan in real life? Because there was a lot of references to watching Ian Thorpe's Sydney 2000 performances. I know. Well, I, I mean, it, it was pretty bloody fantastic. And mm. I was, I did go to the Olympics almost every day. Um, and it was pretty hard not to, um, to um, you know, be, be be wrapped in Ian. Also, the other thing was Ian grew up out in the area that I grew up yeah. in. It was a mile and a half up the road. Um, uh, he, he actually wasn't invented by the time I left. I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but he's a Westie boy. Yeah. Mm. So... Brian, 25 years ago, uh, the the movie Two Hands um, and you played Pando. Yeah. It was one of the great Australian films. Why then, if you're a Dragons fan, why was your stubby cooler and Parramatta Eels when you were sitting up there at the cross there behind the desk? Yeah, because I think the, the we wanted it to be – we want like if I had the Dragons, it would be a little <laughs> bit south, south um, west uh, – I think Parramatta planted me better. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, I think they wanted, uh, you know, we wanted Pando to be uh, a definite character. Um, if he was going to come from anywhere, let's say he came from Para. Yeah, that's where all the crims are. You're right. Um, so what, are your, what are your memories from, from that movie, Brian? Because I'm from Bondi and when we got to see, you know, visions of what that was probably the first movie i'd ever seen where bondi was on camera what were your memories of, of that movie yeah it is great that we we put those places on camera i mean i love bondi um i remember my mum used to take me and my sister out there a couple of times a year and then we'd have to get the bus coming back into the city to get the train i'd look out the window and i'd see all these little blonde haired boys and girls and think, why aren't they going home? Oh, they live here. How good is that? Um, that was Fletch. So I do, I do love Bondi. I do love Bondi. And uh, it's a real, it's, it's a very Sydney thing. 
Um, I, I remember a lot about that movie, but basically the biggest two things I remember was Heath mm. and Rose Byrne. They were just uh, such wonderful young up-and-coming actors and actresses and, you know, it was a terribly sad thing when we found out that Heath had died. He was a, he was a, he was a great young man and Rose is just fantastic in anything she do. I just I remember the movie a lot about the beginning of their careers. I also remember it for things like origami and pterodactyl, two things I didn't know what I was done. Did you have anything to do with the writing of that, Brian? No, no, no. Gregor Jordan wrote it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't have anything to do. You always change a couple of things to make them, make them fit you, you know. Um, but really it was Gregor wrote a very, a very engaging story. Brian, I'm a slightly different uh, age demographic to Fletch. So the first movie I remember you in was Along Came Polly. Uh, the cast on that is A grade. Um, have you got any stories on set of Ben Stiller or Jennifer Aniston, uh, even F- Philip Seymour, Ho- Seymour Hoffman, the cast on that show? Yeah, there's a couple of things I remember. Um, one of the things I remember with Alec Baldwin, Alec was playing the boss of... I think he was the boss of um, Ben. And I remember they were having a conversation in the toilet. And at the end of like, they'd, you know, uh, they'd shaken themselves. (laughs) Alec gave gave Ben a tap on the bum. And I remember thinking, that's really, that's really, really a great little thing to do, you know, standing (laughs) at the trough and he's tapping a bloke on the bum beside you. have I you tried that? that? Very... Have you done that again? Like maybe uh, in the airport or Caltex or something? I, 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 I'm not going there. Um, but I did think that was rather really clever of Alec. Um, um, uh, Jennifer, I mean, they're all lovely. Jennifer loved knitting. She would sit between t- t- takes just sitting around knitting over and over. Just She just loved knitting. Um, you wouldn't necessarily, you know, it's interesting the things that people do that you wouldn't necessarily put with them. Ben is one of the funniest blokes I've ever seen on screen. He's quiet mm. off screen. He's quiet when you're sitting around. But there was one time we we're on a boat and the, there's a storm and all that, and he's at the at the wheel and all this. And he it was only meant to be a short few minutes, a few seconds scene or something. But when they actually finished what they got, they let the camera keep rolling, and Ben just did about five minutes of improvs around us around us a wheel of a boat that's that's in high seas. And you couldn't contain yourself. It was it was like I imagine Charlie Chaplin. He was incredibly comic. Now, bro, while we're reminiscing, can we talk about cocktail? Can you tell us a couple yeah, of Tom Cruise stories? Is he funny? Is he aggressive? I know he's very short. What's what's he like behind <laughs> behind the camera? Well, I mean, everyone will tell you he works hard. He's easy to get along with. Um, uh, no one's going to come up with it. He's just a really open, uh, hardworking guy. But the biggest thing about cocktail is that the script never had the bottle throwing in it. That was never in it, which was one of the biggest things about that movie yeah. um, that gave it such a, a, a lift and whatever. Um, but uh, Tom went out at the end of one week of rehearsal and must have gone to some bar on a Friday night with friends. And he came in on the Monday and he said, I've just seen this bloke throwing bottles around. It's sensational. Why don't we do that? And so the decision was made that we would. And we started then the next day starting to practice throwing bottles to each other. Uh, and we had about three weeks before we had to do the scenes in the bar. So we had a chance to practice every day at lunchtime or whatever in your, in your own house. In my hotel room, I had bottles and glasses 
uh, all throughout the the room. If I got up in the middle of the night for a pee, I'd throw a few glasses, have a pee, throw a few more glasses, and go back to bed. Um, yeah, you know, and we got incredibly good at it. Yeah, incredibly good. At it. It, it was awesome. Um, we did. It was awesome. We we did things in unison, which no one had ever seen before. And the long and the short of it was, it, I got a lot of free drinks all around the world for about the next ten years. Yeah, I, was about, I was about to ask you that. And so, Brian, you got a really broad Australian accent, like it's really strong. Did direct? Did you ever have issues over in America, like when you were giving out like lines and stuff doing your dialogue? Did put the, the people say, "Oh, hang on, just slow down a bit," or or anything like that? No, no, no they didn't. One ever did. I mean, cocktail. He was written as an American bartender, and they asked me to do it, and I'm. I just started speaking and no one gave it, no one said anything. The <laughs> first movie I had over there was a movie called FX that I was given and he was an American special effects man. Um, and I just started talking. No one ever said anything about it. So I've never, I've never, I've actually never played with an American accent. No, was, well, that was the next question. Can you do a, can you do accents? No, that's probably the reason why no, I don't. No. <laughs> and you haven't even picked up a little bit of American twang or no. yeah, the Atlantic accent. You're very Australian, very Panamanian. <laughs> well, you know, um, Yanks are very Yank, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm. I guess I'm very. I am Australian. Yeah. Whatever. You no, know, that's that's uh, the Irish are very Irish. It's just that you can't understand the bloody word. Like, While you're living in Malibu, Brian, did you have any pinch yourself moments? Maybe a house party or an interaction with uh, Hollywood celebs or sports stars or um, anything of that ilk? Yeah, there was always, you know, there's always someone's place you're at lunch or, or whatever, and there'd always be um, very well known people around. I think. Uh, I think the, the the one that was most that sort of I was very pleased to see was the American actor goes back a bit Tony Curtis, mm. um, and that's going back a long way. But he was a massive star in the fifties and the sixties, massive, and uh, I really enjoyed the opportunity to to be able to tell him that I'd loved it, all the stuff that he'd done. But there was always people, you know, you'd go to those that'd be Whoopi Goldberg, or there'd be always people around. Uh, there or either in a coffee shop or whatever. Malibu's uh, Malibu's Malibu's a very laid back place, but a lot of the a lot of a lot of the actors and stuff like being up around there and musos. We even had a cheeky little dear Jared. Pop up Paul from Perth. Mm. Press the button, please. Thank you, sir. Sorry, I've given the wrong one. Should have been the facts. To dear Jared, play on. Sorry, Paulie. Dear Jared, Paulie, you can come in here and answer. I know that the listeners won't hear this, but if you want to come into my ear with advice, <laughs> sorry, if you want to speak into my ear, give me. Some- <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do this. Dear Jared, I thought sauce lime into the ear was bad. <laughs> dear Jared, ever since my wife made a jibe about my penis being small, my self-esteem has been on the floor. Now, whenever we have sex, all I can think about, and no matter what I do, I can't shake the underlying feeling that I'm not for her. She's 42, I'm 46, and we've been married for 13 years. Throughout my life, I've always known my size was below average. In fact, my nickname was Below Average Bruce. (laughs) But I thought... B.A.B. 
Thanks for listening to the best of the week, the run home with Joel and Fletch. Don't forget, you can get us live Monday to Friday in the afternoons. The podcast available through Apple and Spotify. And don't forget that all these interviews and chats and more can be found on the Run Home with Joel and Fletch YouTube channel. Search there and we'll see you on Monday.